0: Yesterday afternoon, um, I came across a quote that I decided I wanted to share with you this morning. I first read this quote a few years ago, and it's written by a woman who writes about parenting. And with that context, the words spoke to me the first time I read it. It's spoken to me in various ways as I've come across it again, but yesterday someone sent it to me. And I just thought it took on such a poignancy today that I just wanted to share it with you all. It goes like this. Do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things break. All things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go, love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is you. That's by L.R. Nost. And as I read those words this morning, I need those words this morning. Perhaps some of you do too. I'm reminded also of a phrase that we have been hearing a lot lately We're all in this together or not. We're all in this together has emerged as a mantra during our quarantine of COVID-19. But over the last few weeks, it has proven itself to be an inadequate slogan. Announcing that we're all in this together is meant to remind us of our shared humanity. But wouldn't you know it, instead of actually bringing us together, it's managed to pull us apart. I think it's because when we try to ignore our difference, we fail to recognize the fundamental power and beauty of our individuality and our difference. We confuse uniformity with unity. And in Paul's Final words to the people of Corinth, which you heard just a few moments ago in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul sums up everything he's been trying to teach us up to this point in this letter, and here's what he says. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Seems very simple, but I wonder if Paul knew how difficult that would be. One translation of that scripture passage says, be of one mind. And I actually think that might be closer to the truth of what Paul was trying to share, but it's still a hard pill to swallow. How can I be of one mind with you when we act and think and behave in totally different ways? How can I be of one mind with you when we are not the same and my perspective is so different? Well, maybe the answer is, don't. We do not need to all act and think and feel the same. We are not going to experience anything in the same way all the time because we're unique individuals living our own unique lives. Being of one mind doesn't mean that we need to think and act the same, but being of one mind does require us to focus on the same thing and that's jesus now i know there are some of you out there who will hear that and you might think well now why'd she have to go and bring jesus into this (laughs) what's jesus got to do with it anyway we're in a pandemic people are dying people are sick we're struggling economically and financially Our mental health issues are through the roof. There is rioting, and racism, and police brutality, and paid protesters, and always there is Twitter. With all due respect to Jesus, some people might be saying, we need solutions right now. My mom used to say about certain kinds of Christians, well, they can pray all they want, but it's not going to put food in their cupboard. I think what she meant, she believed that we have to take action and pray, and she's right. But here's where Jesus comes in. There's action, and there's right action. And darned if we don't confuse the two an awful lot when we're left to our own devices Jesus keeps us laser-focused on right action. See, Jesus didn't have much patience for oppressive social systems and structures. When the law law enforcers of his day, which ironically were the religious leaders, wanted to stone a woman committing adultery for example which was against the law jesus said only if you've never sinned yourselves not shut them up he healed a man on the sabbath also against the law even though the rule followers told him he would better wait till the next day jesus's longest recorded conversation in the bible is with a woman despite the oppression of women's voices during that time. And that particular woman that Jesus was speaking to was a Samaritan woman. And Samaritans were long despised by the Jews. When Jesus was warned to get out of town because Herod was after him and wanted to kill him, he said to the most powerful person in the land, you tell that fox I'm busy. And when Jesus tried to explain to his disciples how it is that he will ultimately know who is on the side of God, he said it will be in the way you treat people in need. Everything that Jesus taught and did was done through the lens of love and with a bias toward the poor and the marginalized. Every single thing not toward the great and the powerful, not toward the above average and the well-off, not even toward the average and the minimally paid, always with a bias toward the poor and the people who are powerless. The purpose of Jesus' teaching, as one writer put it, was to reveal the lies enshrined in the status quo. At the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read in Luke 4 that Jesus read to his fellow Jews from a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And after reading it, he announced to everyone there that he had come to fulfill its mission. And its mission was this, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, and to set the oppressed free. That is the platform on which Jesus started his ministry. He came to lead a spiritual movement, and he called on everybody from all sectors, political, economic, social, religious, all sectors, to create a world without poverty, without want, without oppression, to wake people up to the possibility of another way. And he called that way the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, everyone is equal. Everyone is cared for in their need. Everyone is beloved as the child of God they are. In the kingdom of heaven, if someone commits a sin, they are forgiven. And brothers and sisters wrap their arms around those who struggle in order to help them as they journey to wholeness and healing. In God's kingdom, there is justice for all. Those who need help and need a voice are raised up rather than being despised or ignored by people in power. God's kingdom is not elitist. It is not only filled with the powerful and the pretty and the privileged. And there is no fear Fear and anxiety are everywhere right now, and fear is a manipulative son of a gun. Fear is the opposite of love, and it does not want you to get to know anyone who doesn't think like you, act like you, vote like you, or look like you. Fear wants you to make excuses for the divisions in the world, and fear surely doesn't want you to seek understanding and common ground. Fear doesn't want brokenness to mend. We need to be vigilant about where fear is manipulating us. Many of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a central story to our Christian faith. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the story of a man who was walking along a road and some robbers attacked him They stripped him, beat him, and left the man for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus, when he tells the story, says, It just so happens that a priest was walking down the same road, but when he came upon the man, he crossed over to the other side and did not stop to help. Then another man comes along and Jesus says he also crossed to the other side of the road rather than stop to help. And then Jesus says, but there was a Samaritan man walking by, and he was moved to pity. And so he immediately stopped, he bandaged the man up, fixed his wounds, and took him into town, got him someplace to stay, paid for his room, and said he'd be back the next day to check on him, took care of everything the man needed. Now, I've already mentioned that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews back then, so this was an extraordinary act of kindness and mercy on the part of the Samaritan. And when Jesus finished telling this story, he looked at the people who were gathered there with him, and he said simply, Now, go and do likewise. So what does Jesus have to do with pandemics and racism, and police brutality, and Twitter. Pretty much everything. As God's followers, we are asked to see these systems and practices and behaviors for what they are, to wake up to new possibilities, to get angry, but then to put that anger into right action. And right action means if it's good for me, it's good for you. If it's right for me, it's right for you. At least that's the way I look at it. I'm sure Jesus said it better when he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But now here's the tricky part. At the end of the day, Jesus didn't give us step-by-step instructions on how to achieve the kingdom of heaven how to achieve the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, only that we're called to do it. In the church calendar, we have entered into ordinary time. And while that might come as a relief to you because you equate ordinary with normalcy, and we all need that right now, you'd better not get too comfortable because ordinary seems to be a good hiding place for discomfort and challenge. In the church calendar, in fact, ordinary time is marked by the color green, which you see here around us, because green symbolizes a period of growth. Man, I hope we're in that period of growth right now with one another. Discomfort and change can be so uncomfortable. Author Kate Bowler recently called Ordinary Time a period of strange loneliness. She said, we've made it through Lent, through Good Friday, to Easter. Jesus rose from the dead, and then he appeared to his disciples, guiding and teaching until the day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last week, when he left us with the Holy Spirit before ascending into heaven. And then in ordinary time, we're left just to look around at our world and see this brokenness. And we wish more than ever that Jesus was here just to tell us what to do. These are hard and holy days. We have been left to do God's work And even after all this time, it seems we hardly know where to begin. I've heard so many people say that they are afraid right now. We literally put ourselves on lockdown for two months, not connecting to people in our usual ways, and then we've let ourselves loose on the streets to riot. We were already in a tinderbox of sorts before George Floyd was killed. And so it feels this week in particular like the world is on fire. But here's what I want us to remember. Christ came to us on the day of Pentecost, not like a dove, but with tongues of fire and the sound of a violent wind. And that spirit transcended the noise and the inability to hear one another and it invited awe and wonder because the power of the Holy Spirit meant that people who would have never understood each other suddenly had a common language. God's Spirit is big. It is big, it is powerful, it is full of righteous indignation, and it is love, and it is holy, And it is here, among us, with us, and in us. We have all the help we need to right wrongs and build bridges and move people from deeply held opinions to deeper understanding. We have all we need to move ourselves and others from fear to love. We have all we need to change. Here at Snowmass Chapel, we have a bridge, as most of you know who who come here. If you've never been here, you're watching online. Maybe you've seen the bridge at the beginning of our online service. The creek and the surrounding area is just stunning. And to get into the church building, you have to walk across that bridge. It's a beautiful symbol of choosing to enter into holiness. Not that the building makes you holy, certainly not that a sermon is gonna make you holy, but your choice to enter into God's presence wherever you are makes wherever you are holy ground. Paul's desire for us to be of one mind is not an exhortation to uniformity or to change your mind to fit somebody else's way of thinking. It's an exhortation to have the mind of Christ so that you can view others differently and with love. It is a daily decision, and it takes practice, it takes intention, and it takes commitment. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. So, from this minute forward, I wonder if we could commit to calling to mind the metaphor of the bridge when we begin to feel disconnected from others because of our difference. We are all needed to do kingdom work. It will take all of us to rid our world of hatred and discrimination and oppression and racism and poverty and evil and on and on and on. We have massive work to do. And people will not always see how hard you work. But I believe it's holy work. And even when I find myself asking, what can I do to help? I usually know the answer when I meet it. We are not totally in this together, but we are so much better together. And I do think the world needs us to be better right now. So if we could just reach out to people who are different and try to understand, talk to someone about what they think and really listen to their answers. If we could look at our role in our homes and our communities as one of inviting unity, inviting inclusion, inviting diversity, inviting fresh ideas and new opportunities. And if we do all that with a gentleness, and a humility knowing that we might not have all the answers. If we do that with compassion and with love, above all, myself included, because the work is never done, I urge us to just keep trying. I have such hope. I believe then that we will truly become the bridge that we need to be in order to enter the kingdom That's my prayer, and that's my hope for the world today. Let us pray.